Hi everyone, welcome to episode 81 of SAMA, a program which invites an expert to talk about their area of expertise. This week we are delighted to have Daniel Dunphy as our guest expert. The topic for today's SAMA is your self-healing body, the holography of healing. Daniel is a physician assistant in San Francisco and has been practicing for 36 years, specializing in allergy and immunology, dietetics, endocrinology, diabetes and metabolism, internal medicine, metabolic nutrition, very important that, naturopathy and chronic degenerative conditions. Daniel is the author of the best-selling book, 100 Chinese Herbal Formulas. He also wrote Metabolic Syndrome, the relationship between abdominal fat, insulin, sugar, and chronic disease. And Your Self-Healing Body, Opening Avenues to Optimum Health. So welcome to our show, Daniel. Thank you very much, John. Pleasure to be here. Can we, can we start by talking about the importance of the gut microbiome and the relationship of the gut microbiome to all autoimmune illnesses? Uh, well, I'll start by saying when someone says their gut feeling, uh, they're having a gut feeling, it's re a reality. Yes. Because, you know, as time has gone on, I mean, I've basically been talking about leaky small bowel and gut inflammation in the 1980s. It was candidiasis. It was chronic fatigue. Yes. It was parasites. Uh, and, of course, imbalances in the gut are much more widespread than anything's acknowledged in um, Western medicine because if you look at where the focus is of Western medical training and Western medical thinking, yes. it's grounded in anatomy and physiology, of course, but if you equate health and disease uh, to an iceberg, Western medicine is only concerned with part of the iceberg that's above the waterline. And if you know anything about icebergs, most of it is below the waterline. So the things leading to disease and away from disease are very significant, but basically not on the radar screen in terms of Western pathological scientific thinking in medicine. So, you know, if you break your arm or you need surgery, that's above the waterline, you go for surgery and you go for an x-ray. Yeah, you don't go for an acupuncturist if you need abdominal surgery yes. or if you're in an accident. There, there's, uh, you know, there's a realm there. It's a reality. But the waterline itself is chronic illness. And, not, and more importantly for people, undiagnosed or partially diagnosed conditions and Western medicine standing there waiting for the pathology to emerge. Well, go home and come back when you have disease. Right. So right. chronic illness, the waterline, mm. is a very significant aspect of what I address. And the things leading to disease or away from disease are all encom encompassed in that. So now, that would lead me into a discussion of what I call a holosystemic mandala, but I'll stop there and go back to the gut. That's my gut feeling. <laughs> 
So, you know, I've been, we've been looking at things like candidiasis and parasites and, and immune imbalance, and people have been taking probiotics for years. And not only that, but leaky small bowel and, and the development of allergies and development of systemic autoimmune disease, and all that was highly, uh, you know, suspected but scientifically not verified yet because Western medicine, it's not a disease. What good is it? So it turns out now that the science of the microbiome or the ecology of the gut is absolutely critical to mood, immune function, because 80% of the adaptive immune system, the antibody virus-fighting, cancer-fighting, fungus-fighting, adaptive immune function of the, of the body is in the gut. We have 10 trillion cells, more or less, I didn't count them, but that's what I'm told, yes. in the body, but 100 trillion bacteria. Sorry, that's the washer in the back. <laughs> okay, I thought there might be some bacteria flooding in. <laughs> that's my spaceship. So... Anyway, now it's very important to, to look at that because uh, Western medicine is finally validating that when you have an inflammatory um, condition in the gut, it changes the microbiome. It changes what grows there. Right. And you can change what grows there by getting a parasite infection or taking antibiotics and having a yeast overgrowth because of killing all the bacteria out or a bad diet with a lot of sugar and refined foods, or constipation, or gastritis, that's your gut feelings. And all of these things, and any of them, mutate and change the ecology of the gut. And the important thing to understand about the bacteria in the gut and what's called the microbiome is that the gut immune system is built into the structure of the bowel. Every cell in the gut, the simple columnar epithelium that lined the gut has an immune lymphocyte embedded in fetal stage when we're in utero. And that means that structure and immune function in the gut are equal. When structure fails because of inflammation and gastritis and, and antibiotics, and an inflammatory condition, irritable bowel, colitis, celiac disease, any chronic inflammatory condition will change the, the gut ecology. And when the gut ecology changes, the immune function of the gut changes. I hate speaking over a dryer. Sorry. <laughs> uh, at any rate, um, so... What happens under inflammatory conditions is that there's connective tissue that join the cells of the bowel, creating a barrier between the outside world passing through us and the inside world called the bloodstream. And inflammation breaks down that connective tissue the same way that inflammation breaks down a joint. Chronic inflammation, chronic injury, arthritis or tendinosis or tendinitis. Inflammation breaks down 
It's like the body's using material from wherever the inflammation is to help its repair, and then the process is losing some traction. Right. Like a pair of shoes wearing out. <clears throat> so when that connective tissue in the gut breaks down, the cells begin separating, then partially digested food leaks into the bloodstream, that protective barrier is broken, and it's called leaky small bowel now. And um, that stimulates an a immune reaction from the partially digested food. And those immune complexes either attack the gut, and that's celiac or irritable bowel or colitis or uh, diverticulosis or gastritis, or those immune antibodies travel to the liver, disperse the, the body. And if they deposit in the joints, the immune system attacks the joint. If they deposit in the thyroid, you get an autoimmune thyroid. If they attach in the vasculature, you can get vasculitis or migraines. In other words, leaky small bowel and the gut microbiome are integrally related to all autoimmune disease. And no matter what label you put on the patient's head yeah. and stamp of diagnosis, the etiology oftentimes stems from the gut, not always. There's another interactive factor. So you've got a, a car with flat tires and poor spark plugs and a quarter tank of gas. And you get in and try to drive it at 60 miles an hour. And the body or the car starts making noise and lurching and the body starts giving us symptoms saying, go slow, dangerous curves. And so medicine says, well, there's a terrible symptom here called pain. Here's a pain medication. So pedal to the metal right off the edge of a cliff. So the waterline are symptoms, which are language of the body telling us there's an imbalance, there's a problem. And if we read the signs and pay attention to them, will we can actually reverse or allow the body to self-heal, which is what we are. When patients come to me and say, will I ever get better? And it's exasperating when you have a chronic condition. I say, well, actually, you don't have a choice because you're a self-healing organism. We all are. The problem is what gets in the way of the body's ability to heal. And sometimes... When you're above the waterline in a pathological state, you need intervention. However, much of what we count as chronic illness is pre-pathological or absolutely reversible if we do the right things, if we take care of the body. One of the most important things, and since you mentioned the gut first, is healing the gut because if you want to take a nutritional approach and you don't absorb well, you're in trouble. You won't get there. You're in a sand trap. And so um, healing the gut is essential. Right. So if someone came to you and they had a leaky gut, they had inflammation, um, nice house, by the way, um, if you were to give them one bit of advice. With... If they came to me with what, leaky gut? A leaky gut. Like you could see that they had early onset of some um, autoimmune 
um, condition. Yeah. You can see, you know, it's not too late to stem it at the source. What would your, in, in your limited to one, <laughs> one bit of advice, what would you suggest to them? What's the most important thing you suggest they do? Um, I'm going to share something with you, if I may. Sure. Um, let's see. I won't tell a soul. Um, just um, trying to search this out here. There, there we go. Um, I had, oh, there we go. Okay. Um, I, I'd like to, because you, you asked this question, it's a, it's a very, there are many answers. Um, one of the answers would be, well, a lot of times people don't come in and say, I have a leaky gut. They come in and say, I have a, a headache, I have migraine, I have uh, any number of, of conditions that would reflect autoimmune uh, inflammatory states. Can you see this now? Uh, let's have a look. Yes, I can. Okay. Um, there. Okay. So um, over the years, you know, we write down a lot of different doctors are constantly writing notes and asking questions. And sometimes the patient will come in and say, well, I had an elbow problem. This time I have a knee problem. Now I have a migraine. Now I have my bowel hurts. Uh, I'm constipated, loose stool. And so there's a tendency to address the problem at hand without addressing underlying issues or not to see the fact that there's no such thing as an isolated event in the human body. And the reason is that we're like everything else in the universe. We're holographic and we're complex. So a complex system is like a cloud. So the analogy for biology and person comes in, they, you want to heal leaky gut. Okay, there's no one single cause of that leaky gut any more than if I say, what caused that cloud up there? It's a cloud, okay? It could be gray, it could be black, it could be white, it could be serious, it could be cumulus. And you'd look at it and you'd say, well, given the temperature and the time of year, I can predict it it's probably going to snow today or rain. And you can say that with a fair amount of percentage of accuracy. However, one thing you cannot do in biology is say exactly when or where that problem will occur. Any more than you can say exactly when or where that cloud will drop the rain on what exact meter, square meter of land. And so that's an emergent phenomenon. If I may use the vernacular, shit happens. Emergent things are things that occur out of a complex system that might have some predictability, but not absolute predictability. And so if you see this mandala here, what you see is in the center cortisol because life is stressful, because life is work. And cortisol is the universal adaptive survival hormone in the body that has a potential 
two-way negative impact loop with every system in the body. And because the body's holographic and complex, there's no such thing as an isolated event. If the gut is off, they're liable to be other problems as well. Okay. So let's take that patient who walks in and you see the circles on the outside of the mandala. That's, those are emergent phenomena. That's what we call health or disease. What's inside of the mandala is the ground soil that creates conditions from which emerge storms from the cloud. So let's look at the mucosal tissue and blue is perfect baby Buddha health, okay? No stress, no, I mean, this is life in the bubble. The actual uh, normal life condition would be uh, a condition uh, which, uh, for the purposes of, of the mandala, um, I put as green, because we're always in stress. There's always work to do. There's always cleaning to do. There's always something to do. Interviews to and do. so green is a natural health. Okay? okay? Now, let's take that patient who walks in, and they're stressed out, and acute stress would be yellow. Okay. Okay? So I just, I just marked this, and it looks like it disappeared. A little lag there. So um, we have... Um, We can mark yellow. Anyway, well, whatever. Uh, and that would be acute stress. Uh, orange would be chronic. Red would be a tipping point where the body can no longer correct itself. And that would be an autoimmune condition or colitis or irritable bowel or celiac in terms of bowel. And then Violet would be pathology. So that's the emergent disease. Okay, so let's start with the cortisol in yellow, and we'll, um, we'll also mark the gut in yellow too. And that might be something, oh, <laughs> says my internet connection's unstable. I'm having a lot of trouble with this because it, it's just a slow computer, unfortunately. At any rate, um, I, I think, you know, rather than get lost in, in all these colors and everything, it's suffice it to say that um, when you have stress, potentially you can cause problems in any and every system in the body. And just because uh someone presents with a problem in their arm they may also especially if it's autoimmune have a problem in their gut so if someone came in and they say well i have leaky gut usually people don't know that unless they have an actual bowel problem like colitis or celiac but if someone came in here you can see it uh in in orange uh, that would be a chronic irritable bowel or something. And red would be something that would be pushed to the point where the person can't correct it and needs to go to a doctor and say, oh, I have diarrhea all the time. I have constipation all the time. I have either constipation or diarrhea, and, and I have some bloody stool or whatever. At any rate, that's a red zone there. Now, that red zone and the cortisol 
are interrelated. But also the fact that the body's under stress starts putting stress on the adrenals, on the thyroid, on methylation, which is a, a generator in the, in the system, yes. certainly on the immune system, and perhaps because of stress, cortisol, namely cortisol is the interactive hormone here. Your gut feelings are translated by cortisol. It starts using up serotonin in the brain, and so insomnia becomes an issue. And because hormones are on two tracks, either making babies or survival, there's survival hormones and there's reproductive hormones. If the body's under a lot of stress, the reproductive hormones, sexuality, sex drive, go south because the body's on survival mode. Now you can see these systems beginning to light up. Now also, blood pressure might be affected. And then <clears throat> so there's, there's the cardiovascular system lighting up. Now you can see what's going on here. The red, the most advanced issue in the gut, and cortisol, which is a stress hormone adapting to that stress, are interactive. They're not isolated. And the more stress there is, the more cortisol is produced, the more systems begin to become strained. Now this is one way of looking at what the problem is and where it is at a glance in color without reading any notes. And this is intended both for patients to self-assess, for doctors to, to collaboratively assess with a patient or on their own. And when the patient comes back the next time, they don't have to read through pages of notes. They look at this and they go, oh yes, there's a gut problem, but also there's a sleep problem, there's an immune system problem, there's a blood pressure issue. And that's showing up there. But one more thing, it's not just about what it is and where it is. It's also about having the vitality to mount an adequate healing response. And that translates into three organs and organ systems. The adrenals, which is your starter motor, the thyroid, which is a voltage regulator, and methylation, which is a generator, a generator of something called SAM-E, which are little battery packs that distribute throughout the body and prime the methylation, the, uh, the mitochondrial energy factory in each cell to make energy, light up the brain with neurotransmitters, allow detoxification, and also regulate genetic expression. So the adrenals, starter motor, the thyroid, voltage regulator, generator, methylation, these three are critical to mounting an adequate healing response. And if they are not addressed, you're in a sand pit and it won't matter what you throw in it, you need a hand up out of that sand pit. So, not only addressing the problem where it is manifesting, go slow, dangerous curves, 
your gut's in trouble, of course, do something about it. Heal the gut, yes. But what if this problem's gone along for a long time and the person, person is devitalized? So we have to address re reducing cortisol, okay? Yes. And how do we reduce cortisol? Okay, emotional situational stress, long-term. I mean, you're born with certain parents or the Tibetans might say you chose difficult parents or a difficult <laughs> pathway in this lifetime. But, you know, that emotional situational stress is a long-term project. What else? Trauma, pain, inflammation, infection, allergic reaction. These two take time to heal. The gut takes time to heal. The bowel takes time to heal. The third thing is dysglycemia or, or blood sugar imbalance. And blood sugar imbalance is, a, I will make it akin to, first of all, it's the easiest thing to change because what you eat influences insulin and cortisol. And the reason is if you equate energy to of keeping a fire burning and you throw paper on the fire, you get an energy cycle like this, up and down. More paper, more paper, more paper. With sugar, refined carbs, and stressful foods, or jet fuel, you get a surge in glucose, a surge in insulin, and the insulin overreaction causes fat deposition in the abdomen, and the fat absorbs the insulin, and more insulin, more fat, more fat, more insulin, more insulin, more fat, more fat, more insulin. And the more insulin is put out, the lower the blood sugar falls. And when the blood sugar falls quickly, the brain cannot store or make glucose. So the brain says, burn the furniture, there's no fuel. Cortisol response. So if you're in a leaky boat in a storm at sea, and medicine gives you a nice gold-plated bucket to bail out with, you're not gonna ever solve the holes in the boat. And if the physiologic storm of glycemic imbalance is not addressed, neither will you lower your cortisol, which is that cortisol stress factor is a physiologic storm. If you put the body on a level playing field and give it half a chance, it'll reverse. And so let's reverse that cortisol from purple back to say yellow. And in the process, you will start being able to restore the adrenals, to restore thyroid function, because adrenal and thyroid are absolutely interconnected, and so is methylation. These are not isolated systems. Everything in a car, the, you know, the generator, the voltage regulator, and, um, and the starter motor all work in unison. Okay. There's no such thing as an isolated event. So if we begin by stabilizing blood, this is what I've learned from 38 years. Stabilize blood sugar. It's the easiest low-hanging fruit to give the body half a chance to heal. And that way you can begin restoring vitality by taking cortisol load off of the adrenals. And the body can suddenly start turning its attention to healing some of the very difficult issues. You start sleeping better, your blood pressure comes down, 
your brain biochemistry changes so you're not so stressed all the time. Hormone balances begin to regulate. The gut itself, if you, you can't just drop bombs on bugs. You can't, you know, people have small bacterial bowel overgrowth and they're given antibiotics, fine. But what is left is an ecology with holes in it, with a dampened immune function, and with poor uh, microbiota. So we need to um, address healing the leaks in the gut with things like glutamine, which is a, a amino acid that seals up the leaks, with something like aloe vera, uh, uh, some that we use in the States called Cerever. That's a, an aloe with the irritants moved out. It's the best thing I know of for reducing inflammatory bowel. So cut the burn, reduce the burn, seal the leaks, put in good ba uh, bacteria or probiotics, aid digestion, and you're on the way over time to healing some of the leaky bowel. Interestingly, when you say gut feelings, what does that mean? Well, gut feelings, many times for an empathic people especially, they feel, and, they, and this chakra, this middle chakra is an antenna. And so they feel things in that part of the body. It's just, that's where it goes. It's a gut feeling. It's a very powerful ally, and it's also the worst enemy depending on how you use it. If you are stable, and not on a rocky boat, and you walk into a room and you're an empathic person or you're a, whatever you want to say, but anyway, you can you kind of catch the vibes of the room and you know what's going on even if no one opens their mouth. But if you walk in that same room with those abilities and your blood sugar's off and you haven't eaten or you've had problems, you start owning everybody's crap because that empathic ability does not stop, it all goes to the gut. So people that are very sensitive or empathic tend to take on problems if they're not themselves in balance. When they're in balance, they're awesome. When they're out of balance, their best, most important ally, their intuitive feeling becomes an actual burden. And so, the gut itself produces a neurotransmitter called serotonin. Huh? Okay. And cortisol lowers serotonin in the brain. It's known. And inflammation in the gut produces more serotonin in the gut than the brain produces. So if you have someone with a leaky bowel, an irritable bowel, their body's producing serotonin in the gut to heal the gut at the expense of serotonin in the brain. And what does low serotonin in the brain do? Cause agitation, obsessive thinking, and insomnia. So very, very importantly, the gut microbiota have been shown to actually been altered in genetically altered mice that were genetically altered to show characteristics of autism. And they changed the gut microbiota of the mice and they lost the autistic symptoms. Gosh. Those studies were done in Ireland in the last five years. And they're profound because it's not just autism, but possibly schizophrenia, 
and many other conditions. But once again, these diagnostic stamps we put on people's forehead, you have this, you are a diabetic, you are this, you are that, don't really help understand, in most cases, reverse the conditions that led up to the manifestation of the recognizable pathology. So what you're saying and, is really this is a modern disease through modern diet. All these conditions, these chronic conditions that are now rampant in society, like diabetes, like these labels that are on people's foreheads, um, yeah. autism, they're all, uh, they could predominantly be a, a result of a poor diet, the modern diet. Well, autoimmune diseases have increased tenfold in the last uh, 100 years. And that actually coincides with the reduction in benign parasites in the gut, like uh, whipworm, for instance, is an example. They're actually, they discovered that autoimmune illness is suppressed by certain benign symbiotic organisms bacteria, and even microscopic parasites that inhabited people's gut regularly without doing any damage, except they, they help to regulate autoimmune reactions. And there's actually therapies now giving people with irritable bowel, whipworm, or uh, stool implants to change the course of autoimmune reactions. Gosh. There's, an, there's more to it than that, of course, because not everyone who has a pet by diet or had any of the conditions leading up to this poor individual we're talking about with irritable bowel or leaky gut. You can take 100 people in the same circumstance and maybe only five or 10 would come up with irritable bowel. Yes. Why is that? Well, there's genetics. There's, you know, life experience. There's all these different factors. And these are what, in this mandala, what I'm showing are stress vectors. Vectors of stress in the body that eventually wind up manifesting an emergent storm of some kind or an emergent health, wellness or health. Right. Now, so, you know, there's, we need, looking at, at, rather than just looking at disease and labeling it, which is very comforting to name something, but a lot of times there's a $100,000 workup and about 10 cents worth of therapy. And what I'm saying is that until medicine, meaning Western medicine, uh, understands system analysis as well as pathology, diagnosis we're we're going to be in that that leaky boat in the storm and sea because there's very little taught about systems analysis which is what this mandala represents in color right. and it's a, a holographic non-linear complexity version of what was called homotoxicology in the 1950s <clears throat> excuse me, by a Dr. Reckiwig in Germany. And he developed this linear model 
with the skin, normal, normal regulation would be sweat. Uh, inflammation would be pimples or acne. Chronic inflammation would be, you know, maybe cystic acne. And then three degenerative conditions that would lead to tumor. Okay, so every tissue in the body, the lungs, uh, exhale CO2 and the liver produces bile and the kidney produces urine and that so and the skin sweats and, and Every tissue has a normal excretion an inflammatory state a chronic inflammatory state a degenerative state a more impregnation state and then a tumor tumorogenesis state and the problem with Recky Wiggs thinking wasn't that it was wrong, it just doesn't represent the, the dynamic, the holographic, emergent, complex dynamic of biology. It's biology's not linear. So what I've done here is to take the concept of homotoxicology in stages of normal excretion and inflammation and chronic and degenerative states and to translate that into an interactive model with cortisol at the center because cortisol and stress are really interactive potentially with any and every system. And by lowering stress in its various states, we can do just a little bit. We can reach in just a little bit, reach into a complex bundle of things and not unlike a ball of knots, when you pull on one, everything else gets tighter. In biology, if you reach in and unwind one little factor, stabilize blood sugar, improve sleep, and there's just a little insy bit of change, the person suddenly says, oh, maybe I can get better. I'm beginning to feel a little better. I'm yeah. sleeping. And the body goes from this to this. You go into a healing spot. Right. And so it's not just about what it is or where it is. It's about vitality and, and reducing stress loads. Wolfgang Janata has asked a very interesting question, something very uh, relevant to our discussion. He's asking about rheumatoid arthritis. Now, he asks it in this way, <laughs> and this is the way many people would ask. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry? Oh, Your voice broke up. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll, I'll repeat the um, what I was saying. Wolfgang Janata is asking, can rheumatoid arthritis be healed? If it's gone to the point of becoming arthritis, can it be reversed? Well, there's various stages of arthritis. There's an initial stage. There's uh, rheumatoid arthritis is, is an autoimmune condition. And autoimmune conditions, if not reversed, it can at least be <coughs> uh, down-regulated and managed non-pharmaceutically. And uh, not only that, but yes, rheumatoid arthritis can be reversed. Osteoarthritis is a deeper type that is already affected and torn apart structure. And once that has happened, I would intervene with platelet-rich plasma, or a stem cell injection or something called prolotherapy, which is a, an injection of uh, dextrose and lidocaine and B vitamins that stimulates a healing response or a proliferative response. That's for degenerative conditions. But rheumatoid arthritis, initially when it's diagnosed, 
you get a blood test for the rheumatoid factor and the rheumatoid factor is positive. And usually there's, there can be some anatomical changes in the joints. And even if it's gotten to that point, if you find you have celiac or acquired gluten sensitivity and you stop eating gluten and you take care of blood sugar and you heal your gut, you can absolutely reverse the rheumatoid arthritis, even though the rheumatoid factor may never revert to negative, although that can happen too. You know, it is a cloud. You know, sure, there are linear things in nature. You get a meteorite hitting the earth and impacting it, and that's a cause effect for sure. But those are relatively rare compared to things that are a bell curve of events leading to a peak and then descending. That's most of biology is a bell curve. And rather than, you know, if you understand, you know, there are actually some very more advanced uh, targeted therapies for rheumatoid arthritis that don't involve taking chemotherapy or steroids or chemotherapy and steroids or steroids and chemotherapy or antibiotics. Um, there are some targeted therapies, but healing the gut and sealing off that constant immune challenge every time you eat will absolutely set conditions that will allow your body to reverse a chronic condition. Wow. I've seen it many times. I have cases like that in, in my book, as a matter of fact. Um, I have three clinical cases I describe. Um, so, I, you know, it, but, it, you know, there are cases of rheumatoid arthritis that are Lyme disease related or tick-borne illness related. There are rheumatoid arthritis that is absolutely connected with gastritis and leaky gut and celiac. There are familial genetics that uh, one inherits. And so rheumatoid arthritis is, is an inheritable condition. But just because you inherit a set of cards doesn't mean you're going to lose just because you're dealt those cards. Genetics and genetic expression are two different things. Genetic expression is a downstream manifestation of a set of cards you were dealt and you played it the wrong way and so you lost the game. But if you play your cards right, even with genetically inherited conditions, you don't necessarily have to have disease expression any more than a person who has familial diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis or irritable bowel. You know, those are tend to run in families, but so do diets. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of interaction. Also in northern hemispheres um, and extreme southern hemispheres, uh, vitamin D deficiency is probably one of the most, vitamin D3 deficiency is probably one of the most important immune challenges that there is. And Autoimmune disease, cancer, diabetes, heart disease uh, occur much more frequently with vitamin D deficiency. We test blood of almost every patient who comes in for vitamin D, and, and this is in San Francisco, which if you look at a globe, is fairly high north. 
85% of people that come in are right on the borderline of being vitamin D deficient. Uh, the, the factors are 30 to 100 is the range of normal. Normal is not optimal. Optimal is 60, 50 to 60 or higher. And minimal 30 or 34, most doctors say, well, you're normal. You don't need vitamin D. I wonder but, if it's because the, um, the use of sunblock now. now is, um, yeah, and people don't want melanoma and skin disease, so they avoid the sun. And um, whereas the Romans used to have solariums in their homes, so they'd sunbathe for half an hour uh, during the winter, especially. Um, and unless you're butt naked in the sun for half an hour, three days a week, you will get uh, vitamin D deficient. Just exposing the hands or the face or the neck is not enough. You have to expose the long bones and the spine, the hips. Um, so vitamin D deficiency is very, very uh, important. I just if we can touch back on this, because it's a very interesting topic. Now, you'll be arrested if you go and uh, sunbathe in the way that you suggest, but you're saying that sun has got to go on Unless all parts you're in if you're in Tahiti, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, I had an old Tahitian patient, 96 years old. And he, uh, he said his mother was Tahitian. His father was a French uh, judge. And his father told him two things. You have to wear a hat and you have to wear sandals. I don't care if you wear any clothes or not. So that was the norm in Tahiti. You had to wear a hat and sandals. Uh, so people don't get vitamin D deficient there for sure. But, you know, we're just, um, it could be one of the reasons where we have less hair. I mean, it's one of the, our adaptive mechanisms that our skin surface is the largest organ in the body and that's where vitamin D is made. But you're saying it's important where the sunlight strikes your skin. It's also important. Yeah, the back and the hips. Yeah, absolutely. A large surface area. Okay, once the vitamin D is inside, in your body, then it circulates, I, I assume. Yeah, uh, actually vitamin D is a proto-hormone. Okay. Cholesterol, cholesterol makes every hormone, reproductive hormone and stress hormone. Cholesterol also is inter, inter, integrally related with vitamin D. So vitamin D is a proto-hormone and Cholesterol turns into pregnenolone, and pregnenolone goes down two pathways, one for stress, one for making babies. So pregnenolone, progesterone, progesterone, cortisone, cortisone, cortisol, stress hormones. Or pregnenolone, DHEA, testosterone, androstenedione, estrogens. Those are the pathways. Okay. If the body's on stress mode, the sex hormones go south. Yes. So you get low libido, you get muscle shrinkage, you get less stamina. Women will start getting uh, um, polycystic ovary or, or uh, you know, premenstrual uh, imbalances. And um, so hormones are very uh, much tied in with cholesterol. Circulating cholesterol in combination with sunlight in the skin creates vitamin D. So sunlight is an activator 
for the uh, conversion of vitamin D. And then it goes throughout the body. And interestingly, how do you know when you take a, a vitamin? How does the body know where to put it? Hmm. Hmm. Sure. How does it know? One thing that, that I've, I've learned over years of, because I use dark field microscopy yes. in my practice, mm. which means that basically I'm looking not just at um, the fenders and the tires and the body work and the upholstery, I'm also looking at what makes up those things. At the nano, at the micron scale of cells, uh, I, that is part of a, a, a diagnostic um, physical exam. And so uh, when you look at the blood, and, and I show someone the blood uh, on a TV screen, and here's an example. These are neutrophils sur surrounding a couple of monocytes. They weren't like this when I took the slide. Three hours later, they had formed their own circle like this. So they're emergent behavior and phenomenon. How do these cells know how to behave? They are you. When that cell is taken out of the body, yes. they, the cells don't know they're out of the body. They behave as though they're still in the body. Right. And how do those cells understand what to do and where to go? The reason is that each one of those cells is imprinted with your hologram. Every one of these red cells here that you're looking at Every one of those red cells is part of a whole. And the part contains the whole, and the whole contains the part. That is a hologram. That's how our bodies are built. From subatomic particles to emergent atoms, from atoms to emergent molecular uh, um, genetics, from genetics to the micron level of cells, from micron to meter level, that's you and I, from meter level to planetary, to galactic, to intergalactic levels, all of these elements and all of these quantum levels are built one upon the other. They're interrelated, they're holographically connected, so that one thing looks like another because they all emerge from fractal geometry. The part contains the whole, the whole contains the part, and that's just how the universe is. Why wouldn't our bodies reflect that same phenomenon? Right. I've got a few questions just to uh, quickly uh, put to you, Daniel. Uh, Wolfgang Janard is asking um, what the, uh, where vitamin A fits in the vitamin D production. Is vitamin needed for the vitamin, vitamin A necessary for vitamin D? I guess he's asking. Oh, I, I really don't want to get into complex uh, physiology discussions. I will say one thing, though. Beta carotene was recognized by the World Health Organization in the 90s as being probably the most important nutrient. And it's an oil-based nutrient. The oil-based vitamins are A, D, E, and K. And these are potentially toxic if given in big enough doses. Yes. And 
And a lot of times the only thing that a doctor learns in medical school is ADAK are oil-based vitamins potentially toxic. Look out. Don't ever use them. Okay. But it turns out that they've been trying to genetically alter rice so it contains beta carotene because it's been found beta carotene is absolutely essential for good immune system health and resistance of infection. So beta carotene or carotenoids, which are pre proto vitamin A, retinoic acid, and vitamin D, another uh, uh, oil based vitamin. They're very important. Uh, they're in cod liver oil. They're in uh, uh, brightly colored vegetables, the carotenoids. Yes. Um, they're not the same, and I don't want to get into. It's okay. Um, I'll, I've got three questions um, which I'll, I'll squeeze in just before you um, say goodbye. <laughs> um, okay. uh, Chrissy Steiner asks a question which I don't fully understand, so I'll just read it verbatim. Uh, how would mast cell activation from mold fit into this? Um, I'm not sure what we were talking about at that particular time. It was asked uh, five minutes ago. Mast cell activation from mold. Well, mast cells uh, occur in the brain, in the gut in particular. Yes. And, and in many different tissues in the body. And they're part of the immune system. And mast cells... Uh, respond to injury, so for instance, a mold injury, uh, inhaling mold or exposure to mold or bacteria or virus or uh, swallowing hot tea or uh, breathing in an allergen, they release histamine and they release heparin. And histamine act is a expression of mast cells that reflects it's an inflammatory molecule that activates immune reactions. So there's a cascade of histamine to allergic reaction. Yes. And mast cells also release histamine, and histamine also releases cortisol because it's a stress reaction. So histamine, people that are histidilic or have a lot of histamine, meaning they're genetically predisposed to produce a lot, their mast cells produce more histamine than others, tend to get hay fever and seasonal allergies and maybe all kinds of other allergies in a, in a classic allergic sense of histamine release. And also when people feel allergic, they get very fatigued and tired because they're constantly stressing the adrenals with cortisol demand from a histamine injury release. Molds are a whole, <clears throat> they're potentially very toxic. Um, However, I'll say one thing more. You take those 100 people, 10 of which might get irritable bowel from a terrible diet and terrible exposures. Why does that happen? Not everybody responds the same. Yes. Not everyone is made exactly the same. And so some people can tolerate some mold exposure, but in general, uh, it's, a, it's, a very, it's potentially very toxic, very draining on the immune system draining on cortisol a load, and it can lead to other degenerative conditions. Okay. Thank you for answering that. Uh, the last question is from Carla Walker, our regular here at SEMA. Um, her question is this. Um, if you can... Oh, she's just typed another one. <laughs> I'll see if I can squeeze them into one, because it's basically the last one. That's, 
Um, she's asking, what is your take on hormone blockers that are prescribed to millions of people worldwide? Hormone blockers? Hormone blockers. Like, I mean, what is the effect I mean, on... Uh, aroma, uh, does she mean aromatase inhibitors? I really Perhaps you can answer, um, Carmen, that one. Um, I mean, if you're talking about hormone replacement, uh, I'm very cautious about it. Um, first of all, if you take that analogy of stress versus reproduction, if people want to uh, be feel 30 when they're when they're 70 and they use uh, bioidentical hormones or hormones, it's fine. But estrogen can pile up in the body. So if you're a poor methylator and you're somewhat toxic. And you're hoping to stay 30 when you're when you're 60, uh, you're probably pushing biology and possibly in a dangerous way that could produce cancer in uh, breast or ovary. So I always uh, use uh, with re uh, with estrogen or progesterone or testosterone. Uh, I always use uh, methylating and uh, inf reduce inflammation and help the body process the hormones so it's not building up in the tissue. Right, they, they, they become radical. They prescribe? It's not that I'm against it, but I just have, a, I've had a lot of patients with cancers yes. who've been slathering on hormones for 10 or 15 years uh, and, and it caused problems. It right. can cause problems. After after cancer treatments like chemo, they um, they prescribe hormone blockers. So those, those are hormone, yeah, those are those are aromatase inhibitors. And uh, if you read my book, here's a plug for your self healing body. It's on Amazon. I have a case of a woman with breast cancer who could not tolerate an aromatase inhibitor because it pushed her into severe menopausal symptoms, achy bones, insomnia, hot flashes, irritability. And she couldn't tolerate it, and yet estrogen was definitely a key to be switched off to prevent return of cancer. So I made a homeopathic dose of an aromatase inhibitor, and instead of uh, one milligram a day, she took 0.03 milligrams a day. And it's a minimum effective dose versus the prejudice in medicine, which is start high, and if something happens, then go down. Uh, I start with a minimum uh, dose, gave a few full doses to build up to a, an effective level, and then modulated the remedy, the uh, therapy so that it produced no side effects but did its job of uh, arresting further cancer expression. Right. That's Wonderful. possible. But uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch when it comes to medications. There's always what are called side effects, which are actually normal effects, but side effects sounds better. <laughs> they, they do. Well, thank you so much for coming on to our show, Daniel. Um, okay. Now, uh, you gave a little plug. I'll give a plug for you as well. Now, you've got a website. The website is biomedarts.com. That's B-I-O-M-E-D-A-R-T-S.com. On the website, you'll, have, you'll see more information, references to videos that Daniel has got published on the internet and a lot of other cool information. So I encourage people to go to that site, read and learn. And of course, there are the books that Daniel has written. 
Um, now, apparently you've written other books which I haven't mentioned. Um, but I, I tried to find the 100 Chinese herbal formulas, but I couldn't find that on Amazon. Well, that, that was a publica <clears throat> publication done in New York City in the 1980s. Okay. I don't think it's available anymore. It certainly was never on the, on the internet. Okay, I'd love to read that one. That's one of a natural interest to myself personally. Yeah, I, I um, did that because I was interested in Chinese tongue diagnosis and I was trying to find out information. And in those days, I noticed there wasn't one Chinese book with an a, uh, index, an alphabetized <laughs> you know, uh, uh, index that would allow you to say what page a certain formula was on and go to it and just find it. No, you've got to go through the whole thing and, and ear, you know, dog ear each page. So I basically took a hundred Chinese formulas that I thought were most useful and did a cross-referential index at the, in, at the back of it with Western symptomatology, uh, Chinese name, Chinese use, the herbs in the formula. Yes. And uh, just as a way of teaching myself how to use some of the herb formulas better. Wonderful. Everybody, it's, done, not, done not a, it's not a now, <laughs> nowadays you can find the same thing in very much better published books than that one. But um, you've you've uh, lived a very active life there, Daniel. So thank you for finding you. time to come on our show. Yeah, John, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, well, you, you take care. <laughs> yeah, happy All holidays, right. man. And that's it. Another summer hits the dust. Thanks, Daniel, for that time. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. Cheers, John. Okay. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.